This is Liquid Gold. Where the coffee is black and the cigarettes are rolled, welcome back to Liquid Gold right here on WeOwnThisTown.net, the We Own This Town podcast network. My name's Mike Wolf here with you today. My co-host Kenneth Dedman will be checking in later with booze news and his life advice about the coffee nap. So that'll be fun. Let's throw a shout out to Walker Jewelry, walkerjewelry.com. They are in Old Hickory, Tennessee here, just uh, just across the river from Nashville or winding around the river. Our friend Lindsey Walker out there, they are at 105 24th Street, Old Hickory, Tennessee, and want to mention them because they are doing custom gold and silver jewelry for your loved ones for the holidays. So go see them. Go talk to Lindsay. You can even do like making jewelry with your loved one if you want to get into that. Maybe throw some Sade on. I don't know. Um, so a lot of amazing things going on over at Walker Jewelry. So check them out. Want to throw a shout out to our friends at Tennessee Action for Hospitality who are really getting behind uh, a mask initiative. And we've got to put our support behind that. Now that the election's over, can we actually not politicize masks and just get back to wearing them and looking out for one another because uh as we've talked about on the show before it's like a game of telephone where someone that's five places down the line that's who you're looking out for maybe two places down the line that's who you're looking out for wear your fucking mask because we're all trying to look out for one another we're trying to save lives that's what masks do so don't be an idiot and think that it has anything to do with politics or elections okay this is something they've been doing over in asia for a long time to curb the spread of infectious diseases when i flew into cuba 10 years ago i noticed how the people in the airport in havana were wearing masks because there was a bit of an outbreak in asia going on this is just something people do when there's an outbreak so wear your mask don't be a dick about it don't complain about it all right So that's all it is. You know how to wear the mask. If you don't, Google it or have some common sense and uh, let's all look out for each other. Okay. We've got a a really amazing episode today. Super informative with Nathaniel Marins, a coffee legend here in Nashville. Um, I uh, first came upon Nathaniel and his beautiful coffee drinks at Crema. Uh, going back almost 10 years ago. And then Nathaniel's the founder or co-founder of Stay Golden here in town. Um, I think they just won, by the way, uh, in the Nashville scene, Best Coffee Roaster. So kudos to them. And then Nathaniel, also a co-founder of Matchless Coffee Soda. So we talk about coffee and we, you know, we try not to get too esoteric, but he does get into the finer points of extraction. That's really what it's all about. So we talk about that, how you can brew a better cup of coffee at home. And then also, guess what? Instant coffee, making a comeback. Um, There's all these amazing coffee roasters all around the country um, who are making really phenomenal instant coffee. So we talk a little bit about that. He's got a lot to say about that. And Stay Golden um, is going to, we've got a scoop as Stay Golden is going to release an instant coffee very soon. And uh, Nathaniel talks about some of the technical aspects of it. So if you want to know more about coffee and also want to talk some cocktails on the side, because Nathaniel knows his way 
around a cocktail. We're going to get him on shortly. And then after that, um, Kenneth talks about the uh, coffee nap, his uh, preferred method of taking a nap in the middle of the day or in the afternoon. And then for booze news today, it's just wild as always, okay? I want to say thanks to Chris Crofton for uh, joining us on the Cold Brew Got Me Like uh, episode that we dropped last week and was a ton of fun and just hilarious, man. It is so fun to talk to somebody who has just a crazy sense of humor and is so smart and such a renaissance man in the true sense of the word. He's a songwriter, musician, comedian, writer, poet, a special dude. So check out that one if you missed that one. That one's a very special episode. And our Election Day drinking game, which you probably don't want to listen to at this point, let's be honest, it caused some damage out there because we were so accurate with the words that we knew were going to come up on Election Day. We knew the pundits were going to be talking about some of these different terms. And some people wrote in saying, man, I played this drinking game and I'm in trouble. It's 10 o'clock. I'm in trouble. So, hey, drink responsibly, especially when it's a drinking game. And if you're going to... uh, do impressions of Republican leaders, as we did with Mitch McConnell, Mike Pence, uh, Paul Manafort, who's on house arrest. Um, be prepared for a little blowback, as we got. Um, but it's all good fun. So uh, ready to move past the election now and um, make some beautiful drinks. So uh, let's turn it over to our interview with Nathaniel Marins. He's at... Uh, Stay Golden, that's stay-golden.com. They're over in Berry Hill. We give the address here in the interview and talk about Matchless Coffee Soda as well. And I really appreciate his time. Let's turn it over to the interview with Nathaniel Marin from Stay Golden. Been a lot of fun to finally dive into to some coffee here. And uh, we've got somebody with us here today from Stay Golden. He was one of the founders, is one of the founders of Stay Golden and also Matchless Coffee Soda. So he knows a lot about coffee, knows his way around coffee soda and coffee cocktails. Also does uh, has done a lot of really awesome cocktails at Stay Golden. His name is Nathaniel Marins. Nathaniel, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to hear your voice. It's been a minute. Um, yeah, it has. I know you've gone back to school, and you're studying uh, psychology. Yeah, that's right. Um, first, first time in school, actually. I, I never went. That's amazing. American businesses. <laughs> and was that a uh, COVID-type decision? Yeah. Yeah, yep. it was, it's related. Yeah, I mean, I, I had been thinking about kind of moving that way for a little while, but um, it's just something I've always been interested in. So I figured now is as good a time as any to, to get into it. That's awesome. Well, congrats on that. That's a big decision. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but I remember, so I wanted to talk to you because I know you know cocktails, I know you know your booze, and you know your coffee and your coffee soda. You've done a lot of things here in Nashville. Um, but going back a little bit, the first time I had a drink from you was from Crema, back in the day, as one might say, uh, back when Crema was, and still is, but uh, back when Crema was, were, were one of the only people making really amazing coffee drinks and coffee cocktails, you could say. Um, they were pretty early on with, with that whole thing. What was it like for you or what, what drew you to that whole scene? Did you grow up like getting into coffee in high school and stuff? And just tell me about that journey a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I grew up enjoying coffee. I, I remember my dad, you know, giving it to me when I was when I was a kid and and liking it then, and then just kind of uh, sticking with it. It was actually like one of my first legitimate jobs. Uh, a guy that we knew back in Joplin, where I'm from, opened a coffee shop, and I was one of the first people that applied, and I was there the whole time it was open. And then when it shut down, <laughs> I like. Uh, I didn't move to Nashville right after, but it was fairly soon after. Um, and then, you know, I had just really enjoyed that. So I, I started working with Bongo and then, um, yeah, eventually, eventually Crema. So that was, it, it was just, you know, it's, it's a culture that I think is, uh, a lot of, you know, fun for one thing, mm-hmm. but, uh, I was also, you know, I was always into things, you know, anything culinary, just, I, I love to cook. I, uh, you know, I like making any kind of drink, it, just things that taste good that you can kind of like, you know, learn how to manipulate and learn the science behind and all that sort of stuff. And, and coffee at that point was, uh, was actually just really coming into its own. I think, um, that was right when, you know, the third wave was really gaining popularity and there was, a lot that was going on in the industry in terms of learning and understanding the science of extraction. Um, that was when the, you know, the whole pour over thing first happened Mm -hmm. for like basically everyone all at once. And everybody was obsessed with it for so long. And, (laughs) you know, and then, and, you know, behind the counter, we were learning all about like espresso extraction. And that's when the first, you know, um, VST, uh, what's it called? The refractometers came out. And so people were finally able to objectively measure their coffee, their extractions. And, uh, and so there was just an explosion, uh, I think of, of knowledge and, uh, and enthusiasm across the board. You know, there was all kinds of growth in the, you know, it just, in, in cities across the nation, like the, the average consumer was, um, becoming a lot more educated and, uh, and people really started getting into coffee around that point, I think. So it was just an exciting time uh, to be in an exciting industry. And, uh, you know, of course now we're still learning a lot, but yeah, that was, it was very kind of nascent at that point. And certainly in Nashville, you know, there was some coffee and obviously Bongo was, was here. And, and I think they did a really great job for, um, for being so early on the scene then Rachel came along and, and, uh, you know, she and I really clicked and became friends. And at some point, uh, Sean, my business partner and I started working with them just kind of like, um, I think she hired us to do something to like come and train their staff for something. And, and then eventually she just hired us as staff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Cause we had like, we had started teaching ourselves a whole lot, you know, mm-hmm. just, we went to barista, the guild certification, the first one that they had. And yeah, we were just very excited about it. So it was a lot of fun. So for our listeners, can you tell me a little bit, let's talk about like that extraction process and why, cause I remember, so when I really got, got into coffee, it was when I was in radio, this was 2004, 2005. One of our first clients back in Denver was Novo coffee. Novo was a big deal in Denver doing like really high quality coffee early on. And that was my first taste of how good espresso can be. And that was later on, like the first time I saw a clover machine where they were doing that extraction thing. And 
you start to learn it's all about extraction and but what and, and pour overs and things like that. For our listeners at home, why is that so important and what is it about that process and some of those processes that's that makes such a difference because that's what hooks people in. It's like it's kind of like wine or anything. It's like the first time you've had really good coffee or espresso. You're kind of like, "Okay, I didn't know there was this whole other world." So what yeah. is it about that? I think, yeah, I mean, there is obviously there's there have been some major advances in just the quality of coffee that exists in the world and, and understanding how to how to roast it. That's obviously a, a fundamental, you know, underlying thing. Uh, but in terms of extraction, um, it's it coffee is so unique in in those, you know, those kind of beverage categories because you're making it yourself, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not. And, and by any means a dummy proof process like i still mess it up all the time you know sure. <laughs> it's really not the easiest thing in the world it's a very complicated very nuanced sort of thing and what what learning how to to uh measure our extraction did for us was give us like one really like solid um way of understanding how all of the things that we were doing changed the end result so it's a way, it's a quantitative way of, of getting an idea of what your quality is going to be. Um, because in, in coffee, you only have like a certain percent of the mass that is extractable. Um, and I think that's in the 20 something percent range. Mm-hmm. Um, but even less of that is desirable. So you want to be able to extract, uh, you know, the certain flavors and sugars and acids and all those like things that come together to make a really beautiful cup but there are other things that you can extract that you don't want so much of and so uh generally where we have found that most people enjoy their coffee is somewhere in in the 18 or well i mean it really it does depend but somewhere in the 18 to like 22 percent range uh, sometimes a little bit lower depending on the coffee or the quality of coffee but yeah that's that's sort of where the ballpark that you want to be in terms of really getting a delicious cup. Um, and that gives you all of the desirable qualities that you can extract without all the undesirable. So things like, you know, the astringent bitter compounds that, that a lot of people don't like about coffee. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a matter of kind of measurement and time, but mostly time you would say. Well, the extraction percentage is actually measured um, by a refractometer, which tells you how many parts per million uh, you have of a dissolved solid in a given liquid. So you mm-hmm, can, mm-hmm. that might be a little bit complicated explanation, but it's essentially yeah. you take a sample and uh, you put it in this little machine that uses, you know, refracted light to measure sure. how strong your coffee is. And then you can use an equation based on that strength and how much, you know, coffee you started out with and what you ended up with it's basically like you do some math and you figure out what your extraction percentage is mm. um, so it's yeah it's a, it's very nerdy but uh it is extremely helpful i love it and you probably have to adjust that based on coffees that you're getting from say colombia or coffees that you're getting from costa rica versus coffees from ethiopia does it does it change it does change. Um, I, I would say that the majority of the time, like, you know, at State Golden, for example, we're getting 
I think maybe it has more to do with the quality of coffee and the way you roast it than it does like a similar level of, of quality from different sources, if that makes sense. Like, let, let me restate that. So like at Stay Golden, we have coffees from all over the world and there are different varieties and all that sort of stuff. But we roast them in a very similar way and they're all a similar level of quality. Mm-hmm. And in my experience at Stay Golden and also Crema and other places, is you're not generally changing your, your target of extraction percentage all that much. Um, mm-hmm. There are little tweaks that you can make here and there and, and sometimes, yes, certain coffees will taste much better at a higher extraction percentage. But um, I would say that a lot of times it's due more to your equipment and the quality of coffee that you start with than, it, than it, the variation between coffees. What do you think is um, one thing, so for those that might be making it on a drip machine at home versus a French press versus pour over versus it's old school Italian uh, espresso maker, which I have, which I use every once in a while. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And versus uh, what's the one I'm? Oh, say like you know, instant coffee. In that in that huge um, variance of ways to make it, what are some ways that just people who because so many of us need it every day and we need it first thing in the morning and. Uh, it's an important part of everyone's day, so many people's day. So what can people do at home, do you think? Why are the differences between these brewing methods so disparate? I would say that, you mean in terms of like, what what could people do to get a good quality cup of coffee at home? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 What could people do that maybe like they're not thinking of? I mean, I know that, uh, you know, grinding your own beans is one way. What are some other ways that people could enjoy coffee a little bit better at home? Man, there's there's so many ways. First, let me say, um, and I may have to check on the airability of of this, but <laughs> I yeah. can get back to you. Um, in terms of uh, instant coffee, mm-hmm. um, number one, there are companies out there in the specialty coffee industry, and Crema being one of them, that have instant coffee. Yeah, and, and I wanted to mention that just because I know that's starting to kind of kind of peak back up. Yeah, there yeah. are ways of doing it and doing it much better. Um, I don't know that I've had cremas actually, but I've had a few of the kind of like new wave of uh, instant coffees from third wave roasters. Yeah, uh, and and they have been doing a pretty good job. I would say I haven't had any from any of those companies that have like really impressed me. But one thing that I will say. We have been working, we as Stay Golden have been working on uh, a new method of making instant coffee, and it blows anything that I've ever had out of the water. In fact, they've been doing like blind taste tests with people, trying to tell the difference between this instant coffee and pour-overs, and people almost always get it wrong. It's uh, wow. it's pretty wild. The, the, the quality of it is really insane. So... Um, yeah, that's something to be looking out for. Um, I think we, I think we're far enough along in the process that I can say that. But yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, they're essentially pioneering a new method, and it's pretty exciting. I can't say any more about that. But that's amazing. Uh, yeah, back in the Wonka factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's super cool. Um, but beyond, you know, some really good quality instant coffee, I think the best thing that you can do, yeah, is is get a decent grinder and either do a pour over or or something like i mean pour overs there's a lot of 
there's a lot of opportunity for user error there. So if, if you're not especially concerned with, I don't know, the romance of making coffee, <laughs> yeah. you, you should get yourself uh, an automatic brewer, but get one that is actually well-built and, and rated for proper extraction. So, I mean, the two ones that I always recommend, uh, the grinder, uh, I always say get it from Baratza. Um, they, their like low level entry level machine is super high quality and they have, and it's really pretty cheap and they have the best customer service of any company that I've ever worked with. It's insane. Mm. They'll just like send you parts if something breaks and they'll talk to you on the phone and walk you through all this stuff. And it's amazing. So, but they're, I would say number one, good grinder. Like it almost doesn't matter how you brew it. If you have fresh, good, well, like well roasted coffee that is also well ground, freshly ground, then you can, it, there's a lot of different ways to make it and you'll get a good result. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of after that sort of comes down to just like making sure that you have a good recipe, um, like a 16 to one ratio is really the, you know, the thing that I recommend generally. Uh, and then just like get out of the way as much as you can, you know, make it, make it as easy for yourself as possible. Unless, like I said, you really are into, you know, diving into the nuances of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, an automatic brewer from, uh, I think it's, I think Brewista makes one, but there's another one that's a B company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Bonavita. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Bonavita makes a really nice automatic pour over that um, is really pretty cheap and, and really gets the do- job done. And of course, there's more expensive ones that you can go for, but yeah, um, that's usually what I recommend. Awesome. I would say like 100% always use a scale though. Like that, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that like people who make coffee at home don't think about and don't realize how big a difference it can make because when you're measuring things by weight, uh, versus volume, you're, you're much more accurate and consistent, uh, because different coffees can weigh different amounts. Um, you know, pretty, pretty vastly in terms of like what they look like, you know, sure. measuring by volume. So that, that would be a big thing. All right. I want to talk more about, um, this resurgence of instant coffee. That's kind of fascinating to me through all that we've seen with coffee over the last 15 years that we've come back around to this place now where folks are starting to look at really nice and really tasty instant coffee again. What do you make of that just as someone on the inside? Yeah, it's interesting how that happens with so many things. I mean, you know, I was talking about the pour over thing before, like everybody got so obsessed with that. And Mm -hmm. then uh, everyone basically reverted back to the automatic machines because because <laughs> they realized that while we did learn a lot through that exploration process, uh, robots are a lot better at making coffee than humans are. Right. They're and just not going to make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to make mistakes. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's ha- been happening, I think, in a, in a few different ways. But, uh, yeah, it is really interesting to see. And, and what's funny is that I kind of always – thought that it might happen like i was always of the mind that like surely you know you could have you could start out with a much more quality coffee and then improve the process of freeze drying or whatever it is you know that they're doing to make that instant coffee and actually come up with something uh that tasted good you know it Mm -hmm. always made sense to me that you could do that and I think there were probably a lot of other people that that thought that way and so there were you know several people that that were exploring that and they ended up with something that they liked. And then, you know, they had enough, a good enough relationship with quality roasters and, 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 uh, you know, people in the industry and, and then it gained a little bit of respect and, and, 
you know, once once it kind of got its foothold, people have. I think it makes only it only makes sense that people would just snap it up because you know why wouldn't you want to be able to to just throw a powder into a cup like you do with you know so many other things even tea is is sure hilariously easy compared to to coffee yeah yeah right <laughs> uh, and yeah so I think it, it removes the sort of like what we were talking about the the what do I do to make it taste good factor you know yeah. And it allows you to just open a package and, 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 and make something delicious, which I think is great. I think it's great. Yeah, it's interesting. We have like canned cocktails becoming more of a thing the last couple of years and especially the last year. And uh, we talked about on our Negroni episode and Aperitivo how in I think it's 2030 or it might be 2032, we're going to come upon the 100th anniversary of the bottled Campari soda. Oh yeah. So it's not like it's a brand new thing, but it's there's something about the convenience of things now that that are coming back. You know, people are just like, I don't want to mess with it. Just give me something good that I don't have to think about too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it's interesting because you and I kind of came up in the era of take your time with things, take, go through every little step. It's all going to be worth it. You know. So it's just interesting that we, you know, we find ourselves here in this different kind of era. You know, and, and I think there's, I think there's a place for it. I mean, I myself wish that I could just, you know, grab a, a nice, actually well, you know, crafted cocktail, uh, out of a fridge and, and drink it once in a while, you know, like yeah. <laughs> as much as I enjoy making cocktails, you know, like it, it sure would be nice to just grab it every once in a while. For sure. Especially if it was like Campari soda yeah, or <laughs> Americano or something like that. Right. So since we're talking, canned beverages um now i remember i feel like this was around 2014 obviously you will know better than i will but i remember at some point coffee soda starts coming to be a thing and then you start hearing around town here in nashville about this matchless coffee soda and it's like you got to try this this is incredible and then later i came to find out that you were you were one of the people behind it so tell me a little bit about launching matchless coffee soda and uh it's a canned coffee soda that is delicious and uh has really it's had some legs and it's gotten around to different markets and stuff so tell me about that journey how that came about yeah i mean coffee soda was just something that i wanted to exist and so i, I made it when i was at crema and that was such a runaway success myself and 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 my business partner sean I think it was just no, maybe maybe Jamie was with us at that point. Too. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, it was, it was all three of us. But mm-hmm. uh, essentially, like that did so well that uh, at some point we ended up talking to Ben Bredesen, who owns Fat Bottom, and uh, he was really keen on it and and wanted to to try, you know, making it in some some larger batches, and then you know potentially with with the an eye toward packaging it in the future. And so we did a lot of exploration. Uh, how do we, man, we wasted so much coffee. It's really sad, but, <laughs> we, but you know, it was a lot of research, a lot of development. And, and finally we figured out some, some re- reliable, repeatable ways to produce some really excellent coffee in, in huge quantities at the brewery. And, uh, and then we were able to use their, uh, canning line that they, that they built, um, to start packaging matchless uh so we like we had it on tap 
as Matchless for, for a couple years. You know, we, we launched the company, I think, in 2014. And then the first place it was on tap was at Steadfast. And then from there, we, you know, we grew it around town. And eventually, we decided to do a Kickstarter to raise money for the cans. Because you, you just have to buy, like, a whole truckload of cans. And we mm-hmm. didn't have that kind of cash. So, um, but everybody wanted it. So we did the Kickstarter. That went really well. And then we basically started, you know, branching out from there. We got picked up by a couple of distributors and then, you know, some people like Whole Foods and stuff uh, are carrying it now. So um, we are, yeah, now that it's in cans, it's just a whole lot easier to to ship wherever or, or you know, distribute it wherever. So yeah, uh, it's been it's been a fun process. It's been a crazy process. I never really thought that I would be doing this, but, but it's been great. <laughs> That's amazing. Like we talked about, all that can go wrong with making one cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, so that had to be intense. It's like it's like even a brewery, a beer brewery, when they have a popular beer, and they're like, "Oh my God, we're gonna have to start making like five times as much as this beer." People struggle with that because they have to make it in such larger batches, and it's not like the ratios always multiply and work out so was was that what it was it was like man these ratios are insane was that what you were dealing with or tell me about a little bit about the challenges of trying to produce something like that gosh there's so many challenges the it wasn't so much the ratios uh, I, initially our one of our first challenges was was even just figuring out how to get a good extraction i mean mm-hmm. like to get everything hot enough uh the you know the temperature it they have to crank up the boiler and and use much hotter stuff than they would for for brewing beer and it, you know so, so even even getting enough out of the coffee was was a was a problem at the beginning and then you know you have to figure out how to filter all that out it's like hundreds of pounds of coffee <laughs> and, yeah wow you know and, and it takes like four hours to grind it all so it's like <laughs> there's so many things that, that go into it uh i think i think the mechanics of it were the most challenging just like figuring out how to efficiently get that much water uh combined with that much coffee and then also filter it out in a you know a reasonable amount of time because we're, we're still you know we're not we're still trying not to over extract it. We're still trying to have, you know, a, a good contact time. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, we went through several, several iterations of trying to do that. And, uh, you know, and thankfully our combining our knowledge of, of coffee and Ben's knowledge of, of the brewing equipment, we were able to, to kind of come up with a, a good way to do it. And, uh, it was very much a team effort. I don't know what we would have done without Ben. That's cool. So can you tell me without giving away any secrets, is it just coffee in there? Do you, are there other botanicals that you're adding in there or citrus zest or anything like that? Is there anything else that you're adding in there? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no secrets here. It's, it's literally just, uh, iced coffee that is, uh, sweetened with a demerara sugar. And then um, we also add some citric acid, mm-hmm. and then we carbonate it. So it's just those ingredients. Um, yeah, and it's uh, we we wanted it to be as simple. I mean, I when I first made it, I wanted it to be as simple as possible. Uh, it was just it ended up tasting the best. You know, it, mm-hmm. it preserved 
the flavors of the coffee itself rather than overshadowing it with, you know, things that you're adding to it because you can always add things to it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. you could like, we like to serve it with an orange peel, but you know, any kind of citrus peel is great. Or you can throw, you know, an Amaro in there or make a completely different cocktail with it. You know, there's just so many ways to use it. Um, but it's really about as simple as it, as it can get. Although we are planning on doing multiple types, like, our plan is to is to do one with the orange oil already added, um, and then we also intend to do a decaf version and either a really low calorie one or like a or like a sugar free one. We're still yeah sussing that out a little bit, but but yeah, that's cool. That that's a cool journey, and uh, I know people are really into it, and you've probably cured some hangovers, brightened many a days with that one. <laughs> It is a good hangover, yeah. <laughs> how did you uh, How did you get into cocktails? Because I know you know your cocktails. We've made cocktails together. I made cocktails for you going back to the Holland House. I remember that. Um, uh-huh. But you've been doing. You've done some cocktails with Stay Golden. And uh, tell me a little bit about moving over to that side of things and thinking with kind of maybe the same part of your brain, but just a little bit of a different side of it. That was that was sort of a long process. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember you back in the day at Holland House and, and Jeremiah as well. Um, and I think around that time, you know, that was when when Patterson House first came to town. And so, yeah, the cocktail culture in, in general was really interesting to me, and I started kind of learning a little bit about it. Uh, and then I actually first started learning from Matt Toko whenever um Rolf and daughters opened I, I went there and kind of like learned from him oh cool um and now you know as as you know and probably your your listeners do as well he's running all of the strategic establishments mm-hmm. um so he's obviously a badass and i love the guy but uh he was kind of the first one that that really like taught me things and he learned you know from what's that what's that company called that did the um i know he learned a lot from toby maloney Toby Maloney, Alchemy Mal- Consulting, that's what it was. Okay, so Alchemy yeah. Consulting, yeah, Toby Maloney and then, and then several other people um, were involved in Alchemy Consulting. And they did, yeah, Patterson House and uh, and also Catbird Seed and, and stuff along with Ben and Max. And so then I, yeah, I, I picked things up from there. Uh, he and I did some coffee cocktails together at Pinewood, and I learned more when I was there. And then... When we did Steadfast, we did um, a cocktail bar as our, our second establishment. Uh, it was like coffee cocktail bar hybrid. Um, and we brought my friend Troy Seidel in, uh, who was also a part of Alchemy Consulting. So I ended up learning. Um, I mean, and he basically took me like through a whole like training program uh, and taught me a lot of things. Uh, and I owe so much to him. So I learned that way and, and sort of, you know, trial by fire. Like we, we opened a cocktail bar and then I was a bartender for um, as long as it was open. And then uh, we had to close it, unfortunately, for various reasons. And And then I, you know, still wanted to do that stuff was still really interested in it. And then eventually when we got the opportunity to do, to do stay golden, we jumped on that and it built it out as uh, a sort of a combination of a restaurant bar and, and cafe so that, you know, where we have a full cocktail bar 
that's um, that's set up in there, and we can we can do you know full menus, and and uh, we've done a lot of events and stuff, and and then of course you know we have like whole coffee and cocktail menu on on the daily. So uh, yeah, it was just it, it is using a similar part of the brain, uh, but kind of just uh, like with a different palette. You know, it's almost like playing a different instrument. Yeah, but it's yeah, but it's it's a lot of the same stuff, and and finding ways to kind of fit them together and 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 make cool new stuff is a lot of fun too. Yeah, and stay golden, just so everybody knows, is at twenty nine thirty four Sidco Drive, number one three zero. That's uh, stay golden in Berry Hill, right there. Uh, tons of studios over there now. That's such a big like music area now, kind of the second music row. Yeah, it's been taken off. Yeah, and, and uh, Black Abbey's over there too, so that's fun to have them around. Oh, that's cool. What's your favorite favorite coffee cocktail combo? Favorite coffee cocktail. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a hard one. Matchless coffee soda in Averna. <laughs> you know, I would a... say I would say <laughs> one of my favorite things, uh, and one of my favorite ways to drink not only a coffee cocktail but matchless is uh, we we do a, a matchless americano at Stay Golden where. It's instead of soda water, we use the coffee soda, and it's fantastic. I, I saw that it. on the menu. Yes, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, yeah, I've never been over there really in the cocktail hour. I've only been over there on the coffee morning side of things. But that one looked great to me. And I remember back at Pinewood. I don't know if this was if this was your if from your brain or not. But there was like a Fernet Cortado. Yeah, that was. Oh that my was god, mm-hmm. that was special. <laughs> Although, you know, that was also, that was, I did make that drink, but it was at the request of Josh. Josh was, was yeah. the one who was like, I want a Fernet Cortado. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> of course. Like, you are absolutely going to get your Fernet Cortado. So, yeah, it was great. I was very happy to put that on. That's great. Now, here's one of my, here's a confession. I used to, like, if I was working the day shift at Husk, I would go over there, like, on my way home. Mm-hmm. And get like a little coffee, coffee for the road or something. Sometimes they'd be like, you know, give me the Fernet Cortado to go. <laughs> and I would get it like 20% of the time. They'd be like, here you go. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was fun. When I was doing a little research for this, I saw something where some folks were sta- from Stay Golden were talking about drinks that you had made where you were taking espresso and adding um, sugar in the espresso right after pulling the shot, add mm-hmm. sugar to pause the oxygenation, and they had credited credited you with that. So can you tell me a little bit why, like, adding sugar to espresso as soon as you've made it, why that's important and what that can do and what you've been able to do with that in drinks? Because I thought that was kind of a cool little fact to find. Yeah, totally. Where did you find that? It was an interview I think Chelsea had given... With like a coffee website. Our, our Chelsea? Chelsea yeah. Coleman? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know. The term that I use for that is rested espresso. Um, rested espresso, right, yes. Rested, yeah. Um, because it is more than, for some some reason, there is something, I and the truth is I don't actually know all the science uh, that underlies this. I added the sugar to it to, you know, as an attempt to preserve it which it does, um, but there's actually something else that happens, um, and it it gets more complex and it slightly mellows out um, as it sits. So I found that, that drinks were actually better 
after like two days. So the way that I kind of discovered this was I was like, I wanted to make a big batch of, uh, of like iced lattes, Mm -hmm. um, and see, you know, if you could batch it ahead of time for like a big event or something. And then I wanted to know like how long it would keep, like how long it would be good because my, you know, everything that I had been told was like, you have to drink this coffee as soon as you can, because it's just going to deteriorate in flavor and start to taste worse and worse. And I was like, okay, well, how long is it good? Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I, I think I actually even the first thing I did was probably like an iced Cuban or something. Or no, I was doing this like butterscotch drink anyway. Mm -hmm. um, But what I did is I just combined it with the syrup and then I, uh, and also the milk and I just threw it in the fridge and I was like, well, I'll taste it every day and we'll see when it starts to taste bad. And to my surprise, it actually started tasting better. Um, It tasted better like the second and third day. um, And then basically on up to like a week. And yeah, I don't really totally understand what's going on. Yeah. Would that Um, be the fat? I don't know. Pulling out things from the coffee. Hmm. I don't think it's the fat because what we end up doing at Stagelden is we, we just do uh, the sugar and the espresso. Um, And that seems Mm -hmm. to be enough to like preserve it. But Mm. then also whatever is happening is still happening. Um, whatever like change in, in the, the flavor is, is still happening. It's, it's, it's a really interesting thing that happens. And, uh, not only that, but it's really useful, uh, when you're making ice drinks for sure, you know, because you don't have a hot espresso that's diluting the ice and then watering down your drink. But then especially in cocktails, because generally, uh, what you want is just a small amount of, of liquid, uh, but with the most intense flavor. You know, so you don't over dilute your your cocktail, mm-hmm. and and when you're using you know espresso in a cocktail, like that's it's it throws everything out of whack, and then it was hot espresso, you know, it throws sure. everything out of whack, and then you yep. know, and then cold brews just generally too diluted to do too much. So, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's really really versatile, really really helpful, and um, yeah, a surprising uh, result that I was like super happy with. So, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> we, pretty cool. Yeah. Cause I can remember when I worked, uh, I went and worked in the roasting house at Novo back in, in the, back there in Denver in like 2008, I think it was. And I was just helping packing and there was uh, part of the warehouse was devoted to 90 plus, which was pulling in some really cool coffees from all over the world. Yeah. They were doing cuppings and stuff in there and they were making, um, they were making really beautiful espresso. And I do remember people saying like, even like 30 seconds to a minute after, you know, pulling it, it was like, that's no good anymore. Or, you know, like that, that's shot. And I would be like, I don't know. It tastes pretty good to me, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I remember that being a thing. Like time was so important for like the really good espresso. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is to some extent, I mean, you know, I, I think that that's a sort of interesting um, artifact, I think of, of poor quality coffee. So like when people used to make espresso, yeah, it used to only taste good hot because once it started to cool down, you'd start to taste all the defects. Mm -hmm. But once we started using really good quality coffee, it theoretically should taste good at any temperature. And so it's good 
you know, for uh, until it's cold and, and sometimes for much longer than that. But there mm-hmm. is still like there is still, yeah, uh, um, an oxidation process that happens with with coffee over an extended period of time. And, you know, there's certain, you know, uh, acid chains that that, you know, form longer and longer and then it starts to taste bad. And so, yeah, it, it is there is a degradation that happens over an, an extended period of time, but certainly not within 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were sn- they were early coffee snobs. What can I say? Yeah. One other thing that I noticed in looking into like Stay Golden's coffees and stuff and some of the things on the website at stay-golden.com was how in in choosing the coffees that you guys are roasting, choosing the coffees that you're working with, it seems like I saw, I noticed this a few times that like sweetness is something that's important, which you don't always hear in the coffee world or at least me as someone who's like apart from that world and not as nearly as evolved as you or, or some of the folks who actually work in that industry. But you don't see that, that word thrown around as much, or I haven't noticed it. Um, that like sweetness is something that's important, but, um, could you talk a little bit about that and why that's something that, uh, stay gold, that's important for stay golden. You mean sweetness as it pertains to just like way that a coffee tastes, yeah. Yeah. Or, like, or like something that we're adding to the coffee. No, I just mean like in, in the, in the coffees that you guys are choosing to roast and choosing oh. to put out and put your name behind. I've noticed that sweetness is something that you guys have talked about. Yes. I think that, I mean, it, it's certainly an appealing characteristic to a lot of people. I think it's an For attractive, sure. you know, an attractive thing. And so, it's like something that people are kind of scared to talk about sometimes too. You know, where it's like, I don't like anything sweet. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you do actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I think it's, it is important to understand, uh, the context in which it's, it's being said, like, you know, it's sweet for black coffee (laughs) is different than, you know, a cookie, but, uh, but there are, yeah, there, there are inherent sugars that are in coffee, especially, um, you know, if, if you roast it a certain way, when you're, when you're roasting coffee, you're you're essentially you know converting certain things in, in into acids and sugars and different flavor compounds. You know, there's there's the Maillard reaction that's making a lot of things happen, but but caramelization is is one of those things, and that's where that you know really like delicious, wonderful roasted coffee smell comes from. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think it's also sort of to signify that this understanding that like. Coffee's really only like super bitter and and unpleasant when you make it wrong, or really when, when it's not good coffee, when you don't roast it well, and then it's brewed and brewed poorly. Um, mm-hmm. Really, like coffee is, it, it can be very sweet. You know, mm-hmm. um, it can be. It has a lot of uh, acidity and, and a lot of um, um, different flavors and things that are happening in that, and. And then in general, I think there's also the level to which like Sean intentionally selects coffee that uh, that lend themselves more to that flavor profile. I mean, he likes things that are that are interesting, sure, but he, he wants things to be well balanced and, and rounded and, and to be a, a joy to drink. You know, like the, it may be really interesting to have a super acidic, you know, bitter coffee, but it may not be all that pleasant. And so. 
I think one of the ways that, that Sean really excels, um, and he's the our director of roasting, by the way, in mm-hmm. case your listeners don't know, a longtime partner of mine. But uh, but yeah, that's I think that's one of his skills is, is just finding really, really good, you know, balanced, just super delicious, nice coffees, you know. Um, that sounds like something that you would... Yeah, is some skill that you would attribute to most roasters, but <laughs> and yeah. that may be true. You know, there's I think there's a lot of really great roasters out there these days. Um, but that I think that he's he's certainly very good at that. Yeah, there's a lot of great coffee out there now, but there's um there's not as many, and I think you guys fall into the category of someone who's of roasters who are thinking about terroir and things like that. And um, mm-hmm. you you know, really good coffee when you start to pick up some tropical flavors or you start to taste, you know, raspberries and you start to taste all these really interesting things in a really pure way, like when you're drinking really fine wine or something. So I just, I think that that's pretty fascinating how far coffee has really come. That's definitely, you know, in part, thanks to things that we've learned about roasting and brewing. Um, but really, I think at the end of the day, uh, that's, it's, it's mostly due to the growers, you know, um, I think that there there have been a lot of advances that have been made on that side. I think certainly less than 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 could be made. I think we're still learning a lot, and that's there's probably the most room for growth uh, in terms of uh, quality uh, there. Just learning a lot more about the production and the and the you know the treatment and 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 all that sort of stuff. We definitely get better coffees in the door. Uh, these days than than we used to, or that they they just used to be more rare. I think. Yeah. So where do you think where is coffee headed? So once we as a world get out of this pandemic and things, and because cafe culture obviously been hit worldwide, mm. you know you see numbers in France, which has a huge cafe culture. France not doing well. But looking past all that with with coffee where where is it going where do you do you think that uh you know that the cafe culture of coffee blends into the bar a little bit more like what you guys are doing will coffee start to come from different areas around the equator that that maybe some of us don't know about or where do you see coffee of course you're working on different coffee sodas where else do you see coffee heading that's a great question and it's, I think it's something that we've been concerned about for a while, uh, even before the pandemic, because of, of climate change. Um, not only climate change, but just uh, the lack of biodiversity in coffee uh, is becoming more and more of a problem. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's something that, that a lot of people are, are working on, talking about. Um, and, and that whole area is not something that I'm really an expert in. Uh, mm-hmm. I do know that it is a conversation that's happening and, and that people are still very, uh, very concerned about it. In terms of, like, the cafes and, you know, the consumer side of things, I don't really see that going anywhere. I mean... Mm-hmm. Certainly, people are still drinking a lot of coffee. You know, our, our roastery has has continued to do lots of business because we've had, you know, uh, we have a lot of grocery accounts, and 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 we work with several companies that you know, there's some coffee subscription companies that send it to people's houses and and stuff. Um, so, people are definitely still drinking a lot of coffee, um, and I think that once they're able to get out and about again, um, that that culture isn't really going anywhere. I think a lot of, uh, I hope that a lot of the cafes will, will be able to reopen and bounce back. And I, I am optimistic about that. And I, and I think that if we can solve 
the the production issues, the growing issues, uh, and, and the climate issues that the coffee has, you know, a good future ahead of it. I wonder if it if it swings back a little bit the other way, where you know we talked about earlier the rise of the second coming of instant coffee, really good instant coffee. But I wonder if it swings back the other way when people are finally back to being in cafes comfortably and not just like wearing a mask or did you get vaccinated or this. Maybe that's maybe that's another year away or so. But um, I wonder if it swings back the other way where it's like, no, I actually want to sit here and I want to wait for it. So take your time. You know, I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely think that there will be a lot of people who will, yeah, just be very happy to be back in in, in that, you know, their favorite shop, getting there, getting, having somebody else make a pour over for them, you know. Yeah. Just enjoying that, that ritual and that process for sure. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, my pleasure. Nathaniel Marins of Stay Golden, and uh, he's one of the founders of Stay Golden, also one of the founders of Matchless Coffee Soda. Where can folks pick up the Matchless Coffee Soda these days? With several cafes. I mean, of course, Stay Golden, uh, Steadfast has it uh, in, in Germantown. And then if you want to grab a can, uh, you can run over to, to Whole Foods. They, they've got it at the one downtown, and, and I think also the one down in, in Cool Springs as well. So, yeah, we're, we're getting around. Awesome. Well, congrats, man, and uh, good luck making it through the rest of uh, of all this stuff going on, and um, good luck with school and everything. Thanks, man. Yeah, hope all the best for you as well. Thanks, brother. All right, thanks so much to Nathaniel. That was amazing. That was super cool. Um, the guy is super knowledgeable about coffee and cocktails, and uh, do check out that Matchless Coffee Soda if you're seeing that in uh, over at Whole Foods or wherever you're shopping for groceries. All right, let's get Mr. Kenneth Deadman on the line right about now. All right, he is an extra on Cobra Kai. He is the Johnny of coffee naps. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not going to work. He's the uh, Chris Crofton of coffee naps. (laughs) Uh, His name is Kenneth Deadman. Kenneth, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Mike. Good to hear your voice. You too, man. Well, um... Liquid gold uh, under fire all, in all different ways for uh, our dangerous selection day drinking Dude, what game. Hap- a lot of people put a hurting. What happened with yeah. that? We had like a security breach or something like that. Yeah, we had a security breach. I don't know if it was um, going at Mitch McConnell, making fun of Paul Manafort, or um, making fun of Mike Pence, but uh, we did call the election, so this will air Friday, and by that time we should know something really concrete from the Associated Press. If you're looking to liquid gold to call the election, that's probably not where you want to be in life. But, uh, Kenneth, you have this method of doing the coffee nap, and you're kind of a master of it. So tell me all about this coffee nap. Um, Well, it's real simple. When you hit that lag in your day um, and you feel like you need a nap, you probably honestly do. I remember in college... I had this thing where I would, you know, procrastinate and stay up all night and get ready for stuff. And eventually I would hit a point where I was just like, I need to sleep for like sleep is the key. First, first and foremost, you need to sleep. And there's not there's not any chemical out there that replaces it. Like you can take a handful of Adderall, uh, Vyvanse, um, no dose, whatever. Nothing is ever going to replicate sleep. But there is a way that you can um, you can get a little jolt and still um, get your nap. 
it's simply just like it's just a matter of physiology and in this case we're all about the same so a cup of coffee uh takes roughly 20 or 30 minutes for the caffeine the effect of the caffeine to kick in so what i decided to start doing with uh with a lot of success is just to have a cup of coffee and take my 30 minute cat nap. Now there is absolutely proven science behind this. Uh, so when you are hitting that lag and you're getting sleepy, of course you've heard of melatonin, but there's also a hormone uh, called adenosine that circulates right before you fall asleep. So when you drink coffee, the caffeine um, has to compete with the amount of adenosine in your um, in your bloodstream uh, for for the receptors in your brain, but if you can use that window to lay down and quite possibly get to sleep, your adenosine levels drop, leaving more receptors for the caffeine. So you've actually gotten rid of that hormone that made you tired, and also implemented an upper in the process. That's amazing. It's like a ninja yeah, nap. Yeah, totally. It feels better. Like uh, I was having problems with cat naps per se because I would lay down f thinking that I was going to sleep for like 30, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And all of a sudden it was like four hours later. So the caffeine was actually, uh, I st it started as a way to just cut my nap short. And then I started to realize like there was something behind it. I Googled it found all this info and I was like, yeah, this makes, this does make sense, but it only works for like short, short sleep periods. Um, if you're planning on, uh, being superhuman and drinking a pot of coffee before your, um, entire night's rest, uh, it's just not going to work. You're going to be screwed. Yeah. This is, you know, purely a ninja nap. All right. And now it's time for Booze News with Kenneth Deadman, post-election day edition. Has anybody found any wine yet? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that sounded great. <laughs> People have been looking for wine ever since election day. Where is it? I'm sure they've Where drank it? it all by now. <laughs> Maybe it's in this cupboard. That's funny. <laughs> Sticking with our coffee theme this week and last week. Um... A new study out of the University of Jerusalem has found that caffeine can help curb obsessive-compulsive disorder urges. Study conducted on 47 wow. OCD uh, sufferers found that they were given both uh, decaffeinated and caffeinated coffee, found that those who drank caffeinated coffee and were asked to wait as long as they could without washing their hands would on average wait twice as long as decaffeinated OCD sufferers. Before you get any further, let me just get my cup of 12 pens set up correctly here because it's a little off. Um, okay, I got my pen set up. My papers are in the right place. Okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the type of coffee... <laughs> the type of coffee, Mike, um, uh, made no difference. Um it, they they strictly found that caffeine um, somehow quelled those urges for a brief amount of time, 
which I thought was stunning because most people that I know with uh, certain types of OCD are always pacing around, always getting wild, always creeping me out. Yeah. Nothing like drinking a bunch of coffee and just vacuuming things you don't need to vacuum. Uh, That's not me, though. I've only heard about that kind of stuff happening. Uh, the study um, has numerous uh, implications into uh, anxiety research, and um, it's great. I mean, coffee's a wonder drug. Yeah, yeah, it's like tequila. That's right. What else, buddy? Um, you want to talk about some vodka? Tell me what's up with the vodka, because in the winter, I, I do start thinking about like Ukrainian borscht and frozen Russian vodka from the freezer. Yeah, you know, like cold night in. Uh, frost, frosty fingers. <laughs> um, Absolute Vodka is launching a global campaign to celebrate the importance of meaningful connections. I thought this was great. Uh, it's uh, Even though it's Absolute Vodka, which I can't really knock. I don't remember the last time I've had it. It might be fantastic. They really got on top of the, all those flavor, the flavor vodkas before anyone else and just crushed it. Crushed yeah. it. The campaign is called It's In Our Spirit. Um, they will, they're encouraging customers to share what they can't wait to do after the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. The contest, I guess, will feature them on like their story on like a digital mural. Um, Absolute has done some market research and found that um, Generation Z are having real, are craving real life moments. Despite being the most technically advanced generation, they're feeling very lonely, only to be, only to be exasperated by this COVID nineteen isolation. I bet, yeah. It's like market research has shown us that people are fucking losing their shit <laughs> and dying to be around people and go on trips and do all the things we used Th- to do. That's yeah. incredibly true. Um, Absolute says that inclusivity and uh, togetherness are at the hallmark of what their brand stands for and um, are really trying to reach out to the younger generation, help them through their problems, I suppose. Now, um, Absolute also has has grown in value in, in just about the last four months by uh, almost 45%. So they are... They have boomed into their greatest uh, time period ever. I'm sure it's like a comfort thing, too. You know, it's like people are looking on maybe like an app that delivers booze or they're at, you know, maybe a bigger retailer that you can like look online and people are just going for more familiar brands or something like that. I mean, that's not really our style, but I could see that happening. You know, we love our cat heads and uh, our green mm. briars and. Well, speaking of which, in Cathead News, in celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Cathead Distillery in Jackson, Mississippi, the 15-year-old Old Soul um, uh, whiskey is being bottled. They're producing about 2,400 bottles, so it will be a wee bit hard to find, but it is available in Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, believe Kentucky as well at a around a $125 price point the 2020 rare and limited edition by name is being bottled at 102 proof which is abnormally low for an older whiskey like that but 
I could imagine there being very different evaporation issues when you're aging whiskey in Jackson, Mississippi, as opposed to the whipping wind haulers of central Kentucky. Yeah, maybe not getting quite as cold. Um, but, you know, I got to say, 15 years and 102 proof sounds really, really nice. Yeah, that, you know, I, I really like that 12-year sweet spot. Sometimes even more like I feel like year, I've always... 15-year can be beautiful, too, and 102 proof, that just sounds like great. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. I, I guess like when you romanticize it, you call it the angel's share. It's all that alcohol and water evaporating from the barrel. But I've found that the more evaporation you get in a lot of products, it could lead to some nasty oxidation and to where your whiskey can smell like a, like a flooded basement or it concentrates all of those flavors into a power punch. Out of Atlanta, Georgia, hot, loving beer drinkers of the world, Sweetwater Brewery has been sold to Afria, Afria Canadian Cannabis Company for $300 million. This is huge. This is, uh, this is, this is big for uh, Atlanta and Georgia and also the slightly dominant cannabis industry in Canada. As the United States kind of slowly lags their way into, into the legalization of marijuana, Canada's just buying everything up. Build a wall. Well, they probably just want to um, expand into America. They're like, America's in trouble. Let's get in there. I think it's, you know what, Canadians, a lot of them, they probably just want to help, to be honest. Yeah. They're, they're good people. They're just like, let's get down there and just help help them out. Because if anything really went down, we, we would really need America. They're gooder people. <laughs> Do you know that that's a Canadian word, gooder? Yeah, because no. uh, there there's this, there's this thing where like um, Canadians don't like to call things the best because they, they feel like that's a little polarizing. If you're going to say something is the best, you say gooder because it's kind of like a little light lighter light-hearted way of saying that, that you think something is superior to something else and you know it's it's not necessarily like proper grammar but that's kind of why it's such a sweet thing to say gooder gooder it's cute i'm gonna skip the story about the priest pissing on the lady on the plane um in albuquerque wait what i thought sorry i thought you were baiting me like you wanted me to <laughs> uh we yeah we can do it. A North Carolina minister has been forced to step down from his position at his former church after news spread online that he urinated on a female passenger during a flight from Las Vegas to Detroit in October. Whoa. Daniel Chalmers uh, resigned from his position at Catch the Fire Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, following the controversy. The uh, minister, um, in his defense, claimed that he had been drinking. He he had a, he was actually um, he clocked in at 0.17 alcohol, uh, blood alcohol level of 0.17, which is that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty high. it's like um, mm-hmm. that's like nine beers, eight beers, nine beers, probably more than a bottle of wine. That's like a box of wine. <laughs> that's more than a bo- yeah yeah. That's more than a bottle. That's like um, two bottles. <laughs> uh, but he had been taking Ambien, which uh, has been shown to make people do some crazy shit. Um, common side effects of Ambien are daytime sleepiness, uh, which we've already covered that, um, headache, nausea, diarrhea, uh, memory problems, hallucinations, and urinating on females. 
Jeez. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, local distiller pairs with a local bookstore to put out a combo of tequila and cookbook called Tequila and Tacos, The Guide. So Troubled Minds Distilling is releasing an agave reposado in collaboration with Bookworks Bookstore called Tequila and Tacos, a guide to spirited pairings. The book and agave combo will be priced right around six, the $60 price point and will be available at both the distillery and the bookstore. What a combo. Tequila and books. Yeah, yeah it's great. It. Especially bookstores. Um, I feel like anything in the tactile realm as far that you're not like consuming, like eating or drinking, kind of been falling off. Everyone's looking for their news online right now or through memes, I guess. Right. But with that said, like bookstores, uh, record stores, there are, I mean, name a business right now. They're fucking struggling. The book is Definitely. a beautiful Beautiful hardcover, written by um, culinary professional Catherine Cobbs, also known for her cookbooks that she's made in collaboration with Martina McBride. Love Martina yeah, McBride. she's cool, dude. She's cool. Yeah, her daughter used to come by. She was super sweet. I was always like, bring your mom in with Patty Loveless, please. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for uh, all the informing uh, news. Coffee Nap Central. Well, we're going to get you and Jess squaring off, all of us, triangular squaring off, <laughs> uh, talking espresso martini next week and some coffee liqueur. We'll kind of wrap up our, our coffee yeah, coverage dope. for the month of November. And we've got so much so much more to cover as we head into the holidays and, uh, and fly jam. Yeah, we already have a list, a pretty solid list of upcoming episodes, so... All we, all we need is the time to do it. We got we got a lot of content coming. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Mike. I love you, man. Love you too, bro. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much to Kenneth. Thanks so much to Nathaniel Marins from Stay Golden and Matchless Coffee Soda. Really enjoyed the chat today. Thanks to Walker Jewelry. Do check them out, walkerjewelry.com. Thanks to We Own This Town and Michael Eads, our producer, and Upright T-Rex for the music. Jess Matching for the logo. We're doing some more work with Jess Matchin. She did the cover for the ebook Lost Spring, How We Cocktailed Through Crisis. It's on Amazon. Really easy to get it for the low price, $6.99. Proceeds will help to benefit Tennessee Action for Hospitality, helping out our comrades in the industry here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. So do check that out. And also my book that came out just about a year ago, Garden to Glass, How We Cocktailed Through Crisis. It's doing well. It's getting out all over the world. So tell your friends about that and pick that up. Maybe it's a little holiday gift. All right. So there's Plug-A-Palooza for you there. And we'll be back next week talking espresso martini with our cocktail correspondent, pairing correspondent, Jessica Backus from Charleston, South Carolina. Have a great weekend. Stay sane. Take some deep breaths. Listen to some vibey music and enjoy life in all its beautiful forms thank y'all so much i'm mike wolf and we'll see you next time right here on liquid gold later tater